Chapter 37 of The Missing Bride. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Missing Bride by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter 37 Reunion. Who shall follow them? Or intrude on the sacredness of their reconciliation? or relate with what broken tones and frequent stops and tears and smiles and clinging embraces their mutual explanations were made at last marian raising her head from his shoulder said but i come to you a bankrupt dear thurston i have inherited and expended a large fortune since we parted and now i am more than penniless for i stand responsible for large sums of money owed by my orphan's home and emigrant's help, money that I had intended to raise by subscription. Now I thank God abundantly for the wealth that he has given me. Your fortune, dearest Marian, has been nobly appropriated, and for the rest it is my blessed privilege to assume all of your responsibilities, and I rejoice that they are great. For, sweetest wife and fairest lady, I feel that I can never sufficiently prove how much I love and reverence you, and how much I would and ought to sacrifice for you. And even now, dear Thurston, I come hither, bound on a mission to the western prairies, to find a suitable piece of land for a colony of emigrants. I know it, fairest and dearest lady, I know it all. I will lift that burden from your shoulders, too, and all liabilities of yours do I assume. Oh, my dear Marian, with how much joy I will labor with and for you, until all your responsibilities of every sort are discharged, and my liege lady is free to live her own life. This scene took place in the private parlor of the hotel, while Paul Douglas was gone to Colonel Thornton's lodgings to carry the glad tidings to Miriam, and also to procure a carriage for the conveyance of the whole party to Dell Delight. He returned at last, accompanied by Miriam, whom he tenderly conducted into the room, and who, passing by all others, tottered forward and sank weeping at the feet of Mr. Wilcoxon, and clasping his knees, still wept, as if her heart would break. Thurston stooped and raised her, pressed the kiss of forgiveness on her young brow, and then whispered, Miriam, have you forgotten that there is another here who claims your attention? Took her by the hand and led her to Marian. The young girl was shy and silent, but Marian drew her to her bosom, saying, Has my baby forgotten me? And so you would have been an avenger, Miriam? Remember all your life, dear child, that such an office is never to be assumed by an erring human creature. Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, saith the Lord. And kissing Miriam fondly, she resigned her to Paul's care, and turned and gave her own hand to Thurston, who conducted her to the carriage, and then returned for little angel, who all this time had sat demurely in a little parlor chair. They were followed by Paul and Miriam, and so set forth for Dell Delight. But little more remains to be told. Thurston resigned his pastoral charge of the village church, settled up his business in the neighborhood, procured a discreet woman to keep house at Dell Delight, 
left Paul, Miriam, and poor Fanny in her care, and set out with Marian on their western journey to select the site for the settlement of her immigrant protégés. After successfully accomplishing this mission, they returned east and embarked for Liverpool, and thence to London, where Marian dissolved her connection with the emigrant's help, and bade adieu to her orphan's home. Thurston made large donations to both these institutions, and Marian saw that her place was well supplied to the orphan's home by another competent woman. Then they returned to America. Their travels had occupied more than twelve months and their expenses of all sorts had absorbed more than a third of Mr. Wilcoxon's princely fortune. Yet with what joy was it lavished by his hand, who felt he could not do too much for his priceless Marian. On their return home a heartfelt gratification met them. It was that the parish had shown their undiminished confidence in Mr. Wilcoxon and their high appreciation of his services by keeping his pulpit open for him. And a few days after his settlement at home, a delegation of the vestry waited upon him to solicit his acceptance of the ministry. And after talking with his liege lady, as he fondly and proudly termed Marian, Mr. Wilcoxon was well pleased to return a favorable answer. And in a day or two Thurston and Marian were called upon to give decision in another case, to wit, Jacqueline had not returned to Bethlehem, nor renewed her vows, but had doffed her nun's habit for a young lady's dress, and remained at Luckenough. Cloudy had not failed to push her suit with all his might, but Jacquelina still hesitated. She did not know, she said, but she thought she had no right to be happy, as other people had. She had caused so much trouble in the world, she reckoned she had better go back to her convent. And because you unintentionally occasioned some sorrow, now happily over to some people, you would atone for the fault by adding one more to the list of victims, and making me miserable, bad logic, Lena, and worse, religion. Jacqueline did not know. She could not decide. After so many grave errors, she was afraid to trust herself. The matter was then referred of all men in the world to the Commodore, who graciously replied that they might go to the demon for them. But as Cloudy and Lena had no especial business with his satanic majesty, they declined to avail themselves of the permission, and consulted Mrs. Waugh, whose deep, mellow laugh preceded her answer, when she said, Take heart, Lapwing, take heart, and all the happiness you can possibly get. I have lived a long time, and seen a great many people, good and bad, and though I have sometimes met people who are not so happy as they merited, yet I have never seen any one happier than they deserve to be. And that they cannot be so seems to be a law of nature that ought to reconcile us very much to the apparent flourishing of the wicked. But Mrs. Lousseau warned her daughter not to trust to Auntie, who was so good-natured, and although such a misguided woman, that if she had her will, she would do away with all punishment, yes, even with Satan and purgatory. But Jacquelina had much less confidence in Miss Lusso than in Mrs. Waugh, and so she told Cloudy, who thought that he had waited already quite long enough, to wait until 
Marion and Thurston came home. And if they thought it would be right for her to be happy, why, then, maybe she might be. But the matter must be referred to them. And now it was referred to them by the sorely tried Cloudy, and they gave Jacqueline leave to be happy. And she was happy. And as for Cloudy, poor, constant fellow, he was so overjoyed that he declared he would petition the legislature to change his name as no longer appropriate, for though his morning had been cloudy enough, his day was going to be a very bright one. When Mrs. Lousseau heard of this engagement, she crossed herself and told her beads, and vowed that the world was growing so wicked that she could no longer live in it and she commenced preparations to retire to a convent, to which, in fact, she soon after went, and where, in strict truth, she was likely to be much happier than her nature would permit her to be elsewhere. Cloudy and Lena were very quietly married, and took up their abode at the pleasant farmhouse of Locust Hill, which was repaired and refurnished for their reception. But if the leopard cannot change his spots, nor the Ethiope, his skin, neither can the fairy permanently change her nature, for no sooner was Jacko's happiness secured than the elfish spirit, the lightest part of her nature, effervesced to the top. For the torment of Cloudy, Jacko and Cloudy even had one quarrel. It was upon the first occasion after their marriage of his leaving her to join his ship and when the Willem sister of charity drove Cloudy nearly frantic by insisting, whether in jest or earnest, no one on earth could tell, upon donning the little middy's uniform and going with him. However, the quarrel happily was never renewed, for before the next time of sailing there appeared a certain tiny Cloudy at home. That made the land quite as dear as the sea to its mother, and this little imp became Mrs. Waugh's especial pet. And if Jacquelina did not train the little Sion very straight, at least she did not twist him awry. And she even tried, in her fitful, capricious way, to reform her own manners, that she might form those of her little children. And Mrs. Waugh and dear Marian aided her and encouraged her in her uncertain efforts. About this time Paul and Miriam were united, and went to housekeeping in the pretty villa built for them upon the site of Old Field Cottage by Thurston, and furnished for them by Mrs. Waugh. And a very pleasant country neighborhood they formed, these three young families of Dell Delight, Locust Hill, and the villa. Two other important events occurred in their social circle. First, poor harmless Fanny passed smilingly to her heavenly home, and all thought it very well. And one night Commodore Waugh, after eating a good hearty supper, was comfortably tucked up in bed and went into a sound, deep sleep from which he never more awoke. May he rest in peace. But do you think Mrs. Waugh did not cry about it for two weeks and ever have to speak of him as the poor, dear Commodore? But Henrietta was of too healthful a nature to break her heart for the loss of a very good man and it was not likely she was going to do so for the missing of a very uncomfortable one. And so in a week or two more, her happy spirits returned, and she began to realize to what freedom, ease, and cheerfulness she had fallen heir. Now she could live and breathe and go and come without molestation. 
Now, when she wished to open her generous heart to the claims of affection in the way of helping Lapwing or Miriam, who were neither of them very rich, or to the greater claims of humanity in the relief of the suffering poor, or the pardon of delinquent servants, she could do so to her utmost content and without having to accompany her kind act with a deep sigh at the anticipation of the parlor storm it would raise at home. And though Mrs. Henrietta still waxed fat, her good flesh was no longer an encumbrance to her. The leaven of cheerfulness lightened the whole mass. Mrs. Waugh had brought her old maid Jenny back. Jenny had begged to come home to old mistress, for she said it was astonishing how ageable she felt, though nobody might believe it. She was getting older and older every single day of her life, and she wanted to end her days long old, old mistress. Old mistress was rich and good, and lucky enough was a quiet, comfortable home, where the old maid was very sure of being lodged, boarded, and clothed almost as well as old mistress herself. Not that these selfish considerations entered largely into Jenny's mind, for she really loved Mrs. Henrietta. And old mistress and old maid were never happier than on some fine clear day, when seated on their two old mules, they ambled along through the forest and over field to spend a day with Lapwing, or with Hebe, or perhaps with the pigeon pair, as they called the new married couple at the villa. Yes, there was a time when Mrs. Henrietta was happier still. It was when, upon some birthday or other festival, she would gather all the young families, Thurston and Hebe, Cloudy and Lapwing, the pigeons, and all the babies in the big parlor of Luckenough, and sit, surrounded by a flock of tiny Lapwings, Hebes, and pigeons, forming a group that our fairy saucily called the Old Hen and Chickens. And what shall we say in taking leave of Thurston and Marion? He had had some faults, as you have seen, but the conquering of faults is the noblest conquest, and he had achieved such a victory. He called Marion the angel of his salvation. Year by year their affection deepened and strengthened, and he drew them closer in heart and soul and purpose. From their home as from a center emanated a healthful, beneficent, and elevating influence happily felt through all their social circle. A lovely family grew around them, and among the beautiful children none were more tenderly nursed or carefully trained than the little waif angel. And in all the pleasant country neighborhood, the sweetest and the happiest home is that of Dell Delight. End of chapter 37 And this is the end of The Missing Bride by E.D.E.N. Southworth